everybody, and thanks again for joining me on episode two of the Virtual Couch Podcast. Uh, I know it's customary to say thank you for all the wonderful feedback for episode one, but I mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I received a ton of great questions. Um, I received some nice direct messages. Um, the traffic to my website went up and uh, likes to the Facebook page, all of those wonderful things. And, uh, and I want to be able to get to all the questions, um, but I'm just grateful that people are listening. This is something I've wanted to do for so long. And in the first episode, How to Talk to Your Teens, um, I hope that if you, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. And if you have, and if it resonated with you, please share that episode to your friends and anywhere else on social media uh, that you would like to. Um, but again, I want to get to all the questions that people are sending in. We'll, we'll get to another one today. But I also heard from a few colleagues from the past who are busy with practices on their own and areas of expertise who want to come on and talk about things that they know a lot about. Um, things like anxiety disorders, PTSD, grief and loss, gambling addiction, you name it. So I am going to try and get to them all. And uh, my first guest coming up here in the next few days um, is going to be really exciting, uh, an author of a book that uh, that I'm real familiar with and uh, a real big fan of. So um, I'll just kind of tease that, but more information on that coming up soon. So with that said, my first episode went a little over 30 minutes, which kind of blew me away. I think I had initially planned on these last in about 15 or 20 minutes when, when I was going solo. So I want to try to keep this one a little bit shorter. So um, I have my stopwatch going. I'll keep an eye on that. Um, but with that said, I want to give a quick plug for a wonderful sponsor of this episode, and that is Eli's Extracts. Um, Eli's Extracts is a company that manufactures extremely high-quality head, face, and body shave creams that are made completely from all-natural, organic, vegan ingredients that are scented with essential oils. And if that sounds like they are good enough and okay to eat, um, I'm not going to lie, I actually tried a little bit of uh, some Eli's Extracts on toast one time, and it looked good, um, but sometimes uh, looks... Um, can be deceiving. So I wouldn't recommend eating the Eli's Extract Shaving Cream, but it is fantastic um, going on your head or face, body, legs, that sort of thing. Their scents are absolutely incredible. Um, it's the essential oils that go into making up the smells. They're all derived from various fruits and vegetables. And my personal favorite is one called Rangoon, which features essences of cucumber, fresh pear, and fresh peach. Um, it's incredible. I used to be in love with this one called Oceana, which was lemon and lime and eucalyptus, but Rangoon kind of has me now. And what I love about the Eli shaving creams is that you can not only use them as a shaving cream for your head, in my case, or face and body, and that includes legs for women and men who shave their legs, but their products actually act as an incredible aftershave lotion. So you take a bit of the product you just shaved with, and then you rub it on post-shave, and the essential oils take care of any sting of razor burn. Um, and then you also have the scent with you for the rest of the day, and, and really the scents are incredible. So check them out at elisextracts.com. That's E-L-I-S dash E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S dot com. And if you let them know that the virtual couch sent you, they will offer you a discount on any product or products that you purchase, and you can contact them for more details. Okay, let me get to a question before we take on today's topic. Today's topic, which is being honest with yourself, which um, is so important when uh, when trying to, to create a better life. And so we'll get to that here in a second. But first, um, I actually received a couple of emails that simply said, thank you for the episode on how to talk to your teenagers. Um, I'm reading this one verbatim. I only wish my parents would have talked to me this way, and I still wish they would. And I appreciated that one. Another listener wrote, I feel like you've been spying on my conversations with my teenage daughter. I'm constantly trying to fix her, and I know she feels judged constantly. And the no is in all caps, so maybe I was supposed to yell that. But I immediately had her listen with me, and we both shared a nice cry, and we are going to try to do better. And so I really appreciate that one because all we can do is try and do a little bit better each day. And finally, this one. 
Why isn't this talked about more? I do this all the time. No wonder my kids immediately shut me down when I start talking. I absolutely give them no hope in expressing their true opinions. So thank you again. So please share that first episode and let's see if we can slowly start to spread the word that talking with your teens is indeed still possible. And, uh, and, and I also, I got a lot of good feedback on just that concept where we say that we want our teens to be able to come and talk to us about anything, and then we can quickly find examples of times where we have shut them down. Uh, so it's never too late to have them start to turn to you for advice or for a place to laugh or to cry, but it is imperative to start that whole new paradigm of communication now. Um, so, so let me move on a little bit to today's topic. Um, because I'm already going on. Um, you know what? Let me go with one more. One question today, um, because I've already been going on with these uh, these comments. So Tina from, we'll just say, Back East asked, I feel like I'm slowly giving into depression. I've struggled with it off and on my entire life, but I feel like over the last year or two, I just don't seem to care about anything. I know you don't know me or the details of my situation, but do you have any overall advice that you can share? So first of all, Tina, thank you. And I have to, of course, be clear, this is a podcast and the advice I give will be short and sweet. Um, So my first plea is to reach out to a mental health professional. And I'll probably go into this in future episodes as well, but please find a therapist that you can talk to, even if you just want to talk with one briefly and see if there's a fit. Most therapists will offer some sort of um, a phone call or a free consultation to see if there is a fit there. And you are in, in control of that. Ask questions. Ask them Um, How do you treat depression or anxiety? What kind of uh, experience do you have in in working with anxiety or depression? You're in charge. No question is off limits. So so see if you can find one that you can talk with briefly. Uh, But I would encourage you to start the process regardless. And if money is an option, most insurance plans now do offer mental health options. So I would encourage you to look more into that with your own insurance provider. Or if you don't have coverage, you can literally Google low-cost counseling or low-cost therapy in your area. And I can almost guarantee that you'll find a clinic near you that offers some sort of low-cost counseling. There's actually one right across the parking lot um, of my practice that does an amazing job. Um, They have a lot of uh, of therapist interns um, who are supervised by a wonderful um, therapist, and uh, they do great work, and they often do that very, very cheap. Or you can go to psychologytoday.com, and right up on top there's a link that says find a therapist, and you can enter a zip code, a city, um, you will find all the therapists in that area, and it shows their the things they, they work on. Oftentimes, it shows their fee schedule, if they accept the sliding scale, um, all of those wonderful things, or if they take insurance, etc. So the bottom line is give therapy a shot because it will help. But in general, I do have something that I call the emotional baseline, and I have plans to devote an entire show on this concept of the emotional baseline soon um, because I have a lot, of, uh, a lot of neat stories and examples and even how I got to this concept of an emotional baseline Um, is a story that I love to tell. But let me kind of just hit it in general. Um, When we feel good, our emotional baseline is high. And if I was doing a video podcast, you would see that my my arms are up above my head and I'm kind of drawing a a flat plane here. Um, But when our emotional baseline is high, all of life's problems and struggles and the decisions that we make are coming at us. They're coming at us regardless of how we feel. So, But when we are engaging in self-care, taking care of ourselves, our emotional baseline is, is up. It's up high. And when we make decisions from a better place, um, when our decisions are being made from up high, then we obviously are going to make fairly good decisions. Um, but when we start heading downhill with our emotional health, um, our physical health, job loss, grief and loss, um, all of these things tend to lower our emotional baseline. So our emotional baseline 
can be low or it can be high, but those same decisions are coming at us daily and it can feel overwhelming. So, and, and if you even look at this in terms of when your emotional baseline is low, and again, my, my hand here is now showing this low flat plane, um, you're, you're, oftentimes I feel like when people are saying, um, if you're feeling depressed, for example, if your emotional baseline is low, it's as if everybody else is kind of up there at this, this top of the emotional baseline, just kind of looking down, just saying, hey, just think happy thoughts or, or you know, just uh, go out and do something fun. And, and see, that's one of those decisions that when your baseline is high, yeah, it makes perfect sense. You might, be, you might feel a little bit down, but, but you can still get out and about and do things. But when your emotional baseline is low, um, that can seem overwhelming. So again, all of these decisions are coming at you on a daily basis, and you respond differently from if your emotional baseline is high versus whether your emotional baseline is low. So I say that one of the first things to do Um, And let me be clear, after ruling out any medical-related issues, because it's always a good idea to get a physical or have some blood work done, um, make sure that you're not fighting against something that could could be controlled uh, or helped with um, your doctor. Um, You know, I've worked with people that have had thyroid issues, or I've worked with people that have had uh, iron deficiency or hormonal issues that come into play, and those definitely affect your emotional baseline. Um, But then one of the first things that I like to do is look for ways to raise your emotional baseline. Look for what I like to call the low-hanging fruit, or the small victories. Look for things that you enjoy. And let me just give you a real quick example. And again, I'll go into this more in a future episode. But I had a client at one point who was working from home. He had been through a divorce, and he was really struggling to get anything done. And uh, we identified some of the things that he enjoyed doing. One of the things he loved to do was read. Um, He was fairly active in his church, um, a religious guy. And so he felt like if he was going to take the time to read, that he needed to be reading some spiritual or re- religious book. But, but actually, those books kind of had a little bit of a negative effect on him at that moment because when he would read them, he would start to, his mind would wander, it would tune out, and he found that he was um, feeling a little bit worse, actually, even when he was trying to engage in this thing that had once um, brought him such joy. So we identified that he, he enjoyed reading uh, some fictional novels, a little bit of John Grisham, as a matter of fact, and I can relate to that. So he had put off that because he felt like he didn't have the time to read for fun, but here he was just in a bad spot, not getting anything done, anything done um, work-wise, uh, relationship-wise, and even, even his spirituality had suffered as well. So to address his emotional baseline, to try to bump up his emotional baseline in the vein of self-care and low-hanging fruit and small victories, um, we, we assigned him to read. I think we started out at 15 minutes, maybe it was 30 minutes each morning, uh, just something that he enjoyed. And uh, there had actually been a John Grisham novel that had just came out recently at that time. I forget which one it was. But he started to read it, and he, and he quickly noticed that after 15 minutes or a half an hour, whatever it was, of reading for fun, he felt good. His emotional baseline had gone up. And at that point, actually, um, we'd also tackled a little bit of his uh, uh, struggles with the spirituality and uh, we found uh, kind of a nice daily book of affirmations. Um, and so he, uh, he would hit one of those after reading for pleasure. And now he's really feeling good about himself. And then he would go on to, uh, to do a little bit of work and walk a dog and all kinds of wonderful things. And, and that is one of those where I can happily say that he went on to, um, to be able to, to get his emotional baseline nice and high and, uh, and went on to uh, do well at his job. And, uh, and did actually um, get married a little later and is living a wonderful life right now. 
So, so I'm always going to recommend movement as well. It doesn't have to be running, but when you're feeling low or in a slump, I recommend that people set their watches. And if there's uh, kids, maybe millennials listening, those are the things that go around your arm. Um, you, they, they have an alarm or that sort of thing, or your phone alarms for an hour, um, or half an hour, but then get up and do something, walk around the block, get the blood pumping, but work on self-care, self-care that will raise your emotional baseline. And remember the higher your baseline, the better able you'll be to take on what's going on around you. And again, plenty more on that in the future. But when we're talking about ways to address depression in general, uh, I like to say, let's try to find that low hanging fruit those small victories and try to raise your emotional baseline because the higher you get that baseline, the more hope um, and the more joy you'll feel and the more able you will be to take on those, those decisions that are hitting you on a daily basis. Okay, today's topic. I want to talk about, um, it's, a, it's, it's something that was actually said in a session. I want to talk about this concept of um, when clients bring into me yet another thing that's wrong with me. And I've got that in quotation marks. So let me tell a story. It's story time. I was working once with a wonderful client, and he'd been through a lot. He had some family of origin issues with a narcissistic father. He grew up in a, uh, grew up in a competitive home. And then he had some major health issues. Um, and I'm talking really, really major that set him back quite a bit. Um, they popped up in his mid-20s, and they really changed his life. And he worked hard for years to work through the health issues, and he eventually found a pretty good place um, of peace in his life. But he still struggled with some anxiety, some depression, and we were continuing to work on those. But something just kind of still seemed a little bit off. So at one point in a session, uh, he opened up and we identified that he had fairly crippling OCD. And OCD, of course, stands for Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. And OCD doesn't just consist of what you might maybe see in movies where um, it's excessive hand washing or that sort of thing. I've worked with all kinds of OCD and uh, have a great, great therapist lined up, but I uh, won't be able to get to them in a, in a couple of weeks about how to work with OCD. But this was something that he had failed to mention in, in our many visits. And so once that was on the table, this crippling OCD, he broke down um, as we talked about what to do next. And, and he cried in my office this day. Um, he said something effective, this is just another thing that's wrong with me. And he said, I am so broken. And my heart went out to him because he had been through so much already. And here he was feeling defeated with this admission of OCD, even as we were talking about ways to work with it. Um, I had a bit of an epiphany in that moment. And I shared with him the power that these automatic negative thoughts had over him. And some people uh, in the business like to call them ants, automatic negative thoughts. And here was a wonderful opportunity, opportunity to identify to him one of these ants, these automatic negative thoughts, um, this concept of here's just this one more thing that he is so broken, um, but we could help him identify one of these ants and then we could work on how to, and I, I swear to you, I wasn't going to say this, but uh, it's kind of, I'm, I can't resist this one, but how to squash one of those ants. I swear if I had a sound effect panel, maybe that would be a snare drum. Um, but I explained to him that it was perfectly normal to feel down or to feel these negative emotions around this admission of how much his OCD was affecting him. But I asked the question, were those feelings productive? They were only sending him down a negative path that he took uh, often. And that, when he went down this negative path, that only caused him to start to pick all kinds of areas of his life apart, which only brought him lower and lower. Matter of fact, if we go back to the emotional baseline that we talked about earlier, um, it would just sink his emotional baseline. So I try to explain that in therapy, all of what a client brings to the table, um, all of it is, and, and I don't want this to sound cold or negative, but it's data. 
It's what we as therapists have to work with. It is absolutely essential to have all of the data. There's no judgment coming from me. Um, But without all the data, how can we effectively create a treatment plan and then start the process of change? And, And I long ago said I wish I could invent some meter that would sit behind me and it's almost like my oh my gosh meter or uh, you know that was going to show in a session that when a client just you know drops something like i've got this crippling ocd in addition to all these other things that this oh my gosh meter is not even going to bump or when i work with a lot of my my clients who struggle with um, pornography and sex addiction uh, they hold back because they worry they're going to say something that is just going to drop my jaw and i'm going to kick them out of the room and that is not going to happen um, I need that data to be able to work with them. So the another thing that's broken with me is the negative self-talk. And sure, it's going to kick around the brain. And trust me, we have incredible episodes coming up on awareness and mindfulness that we'll talk about what to do with those thoughts. But for now, let's simply file the what's wrong with me, I'm broken thoughts away as unproductive and let them move through your brain and let's get to the part of what do we do now. Now that we finally have another piece of the puzzle, and I'm talking a major piece of the puzzle. For those of you who put together puzzle pieces, um, I don't know, pretty significant piece. I don't know. I don't know what a significant piece be, one in the middle we've been looking for or one in the borders. But, but anyway, a very good puzzle piece that now we have to work with. So I am happy to report now I realize uh, are all my stories going to turn out with everybody living happily ever after and jumping on a unicorn and, and you know the, the rainbow parts and there's a pot of gold? Um, I don't know, maybe, uh, but I'm happy to report that this guy went on to embrace some of the techniques that uh, that are used to battle severe OCD. And just quick plug techniques; um, those are found in a wonderful book called Brain Lock. If you uh, if you haven't read that, if you do struggle with OCD or know somebody that does, um, I would highly recommend the book Brain Lock. And we are well down a path of a new life for him. So at that point, I started to pay a bit more attention when I felt like clients were holding back on things that started to come up regularly in therapy. And I discovered that many clients struggle with being completely open and honest with their therapist. And in several occasions, and here was you know the, the impetus of this, uh, this episode, with themselves. So I began to truly plea at the beginning of therapy when you're going over all the, um, here's when we have to break confidenti- confidentiality and what we do if we run into each other in public and all those wonderful things. But I started to really um, plea that my clients would just be as open as they could be with me. Obviously, um, the more open, the better, and that it truly didn't benefit them from holding back anything because something that they might view as minor could be a significant piece of the puzzle that would help bring them closer to becoming the person that they wanted to be and the person that I was trying to help them become. So my plea to those listening would be, of course, to be honest with yourself. Being honest with yourself is one of the biggest, most important, wonderful Uh, unicorn, rainbow, white picket fence, self-care things that you can do in order to find the peace and happiness that you're looking for. Because until you are truly open and honest with yourself, um, it it will be hard to overcome the things that you are dealing with, the things that you're struggling with. And, And yes, this is a big plug, I'm sure, for therapy because being completely open and honest can be extremely vulnerable with someone that you know or someone that you love. And uh, while I am a big fan of vulnerability, I understand how difficult that can be um, to really feel like you want to open up and talk about some of the, some of the things that are really uh, maybe deep inside of you. 
So being open and honest can obviously feel wonderful. And having somebody that you can truly open up to, like your therapist, um, open up with every thought, dream, hope, frustration, anger, you name it. And better yet, find that therapist that you trust, and they actually have the skills to take all of that data in and help you make sense of it, where it all came from, which is more important than you, than you really think. Um, how it's affecting your life now, both positively and negative, and also what you can do with that data to be able to find the joy and happiness that you're looking for. Um, but again, the first step comes with this awareness of being completely open and honest with yourself. So that's all I have today to share on the virtual couch. I want to thank you again for joining me today. I'm grateful for our sponsor, Eli's Extracts. Again, check them out at www.elis-extracts e-x-t-r-a-c-t-s and uh, and I also want to um, encourage you to continue to send in your questions to contact at pathbackrecovery.com and on that note let me throw in another plug for my faith-based pornography addiction recovery program the path back you can find more out about that at pathbackrecovery.com and so if you or somebody you know is struggling with pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior please head over to or, or point them to pathbackrecovery.com I assure you it works. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who struggle with um, pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior, and the path back was two years in the making uh, designed to help people overcome pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. So, and, And truthfully, the path back will not only help you rid your life of pornography, but you will also discover a life that you have always dreamed you could have. So thank you again for joining me today on the virtual couch. Um, Until next time. Uh, I will look forward to speaking with you with yet another topic, um, interviews from therapists and colleagues who specialize in a variety of things that, uh, that are all mental health related. Um, and taking us out once again is the wonderful, talented Aurora Florence, who you can find on iTunes with her song, It's Wonderful. flying past our heads and out the other end the pressures of the daily grind it's wonderful elastic waste and rubber ghost i'm floating past the midnight hour they push aside the things that matter